Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. Join with me in a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful to be able to be in your church this morning to worship, to give you praise that you're due. Father, we also at the same time look around our world and see all that is going on. And our hearts are broken as we see more shootings take place. God, we pray for the people. We pray for the families that you would uh, be with them, that you would comfort them, that you, your presence would be felt. Father God, our country, we are in desperate need of revival. We pray that uh, we as the church would be at the forefront of that, that we would want to see other people come to know and follow Jesus because we know that it's through your word and, and God who you are that that's what is going to cause transformation not only in individuals um, but in our world, God. And so we commit that to you. We also want to pray for the work that you're doing around the world and this month, as we focus in on praying for Dan and Anna Julian, our missionaries to Spain, we pray for them for the good work they're doing as they take the gospel uh, to the people of Spain. We pray for their protection. We pray for that you would encourage and strengthen them each day as they do your work. We pray for them to continue to be growing in their walk with you so that they can be an encouragement to their neighbors, friends, people they've come in contact with so that they can be a bold witness for you and those people would have a desire to come to know and follow your son, Jesus. And so we just pray for the harvest there, for the work that they've done, the relationships they've developed, uh, the opportunities where they've planted seeds, God, that those would be watered and there'd be a harvest for people that would come to know and follow your son, Jesus. God, we also want to lift up and be praying for Grace Community Church and all the opportunities we have as a church and the various ministries that we have, both to our people and in our community, the opportunities we have to impact people, to to develop relationship, because ultimately we want to see people come to know and follow your son, Jesus. And so we just pray for those opportunities that we have, that you'd go before us, and that you would... um, Again, uh, see a harvest that would take place there, God. We also want to lift up and pray for the needs of our church, Lord. Just as I'm talking this morning with people, there's many needs within our congregation on many different levels, God. You know what those needs are. We pray that you'd be meeting them, meet people where they're at, that they would know you to be their rock through the various trials or storms they may be facing, God. And that we as your people, that we can come alongside to care for people, 
to encourage people, and that we can be the church that you want us to be. We pray for this morning as we continue to worship as Pastor Mike's going to be bringing your word. We pray that we'd allow that to penetrate our, our hearts and our minds as we begin this new sermon series in James and dealing with trials. God, it's not if we face them, but it's when and when we do. How do we respond? How do we work through that, God? And we know that we can't do it alone. We need you and we need to be walking with you. So I pray for each one of us as we go about this week, as we live our lives, that we keep our eyes fixed on your son Jesus, that we would stay plugged into your word, that we would be in prayer, so that we can be hearing what you are saying to us, and then that we can be going out and living in this world and being examples and being your hands and feet to a world that desperately needs you. And so with that, we commit the service to you, and we pray this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. The scripture reading today is found in James chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. James, a servant, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives it generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Thank you very much, Pastor Jarrett. Last weekend, we had the privilege of having our grandchildren with us for a day, and uh, I discovered in our book basket a brand new book and read it to our two-year-old two granddaughter, Macy. And after I read it the second time and then the third time and then the fourth time, and you know how that goes again, again. And you want to argue and say, enough, enough. But I thought you ought to hear at least a portion of this book. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh. Grass, long, wavy grass. Jenny taught me how to do this. She taught me how to read this. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We have to go through it. Swishy, swashy, swishy, swashy, swishy, swashy. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. 
What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh, a river, a deep, cold river. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go Oh, some of you read this book too. All right. Splish, splosh, splish, splosh, splish, splosh. You're saying, what in the world is he talking about? And why did he read that book to us? Well, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. As I was reading the book for the fifth time to Macy, it occurred to me that this is an excellent, excellent insight into James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. When you think about the trials of life, friends, the troubles, the difficulties, the challenges that you face, do you ever notice that you really can't go over them? You really can't go under them. That you can't avoid them. You've got to go through them. And this morning, I want us to study what God says in his word about going through the trials of life. Now, three weeks ago in the sermon series on eternity, I preached a sermon on trials from 1 Peter chapter 1. Consider this the sequel to that sermon. In James chapter 1, James goes in a bit of a different direction, gives us some very practical insight and understanding about the trials of life. And I am convinced that James gives us the very clear direction that much as we might want to go over them or under them or avoid them in any way, the reality is, and this is the way life works, we have to go through them. In fact, that's how trials work as well. Now, before we get to the trials, let me just kind of give you a little bit of introduction to this book called James, because we're going to be in the book of James right through the end of August, so it's important for us to know a little bit about the man and a little bit about the book. James the man. Do you know who he is? He's the half-brother of Jesus. That means that he has brothers and sisters who are the children of Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary had Jesus, Jesus, his father in heaven, his mother on earth being Mary. Therefore, all the children born to Joseph and Mary are half-brothers and half-sisters. There is a large family that grew up in Nazareth. James is a man who grew up not as a believer in his brother. He did not believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. You'll find that in John chapter 7, verse 5. But sometime around the resurrection, James came to the place where he indeed became a believer in Jesus Christ. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, that Jesus revealed himself after the resurrection to James. And we learn in Acts chapter 1 that James and his brothers were among those who were in the upper room in Jerusalem awaiting the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, let me tell you something. If anyone could be a names dropper, it could be James. You know what a person is who likes to drop names one minute into the conversation? They drop all kinds of names hoping to impress you. James could have easily have done that with his book. He could have easily have said, James, half-brother of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of the world. But that is not how he opens the book. Look at James chapter 1, verse 1, and notice that he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The very word servant means slave. James is saying to us that whatever Jesus asks, I will do. Wherever Jesus sends, I will go. Whatever Jesus says, 
I will write. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he did just that. He put pen to parchment, and he created the book or the letter that we call the book of James. Now, according to verse 1, James, the book, was written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. This language recalls the 12 tribes of Israel and is therefore thought to describe the fact that this letter of James was written to Jewish Christians who were scattered across the face of the then known world. We understand from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, that after Stephen, the first martyr, was killed by stoning, Acts 8, 1 says, then the church was scattered as persecution broke out against it. And, and Jewish Christians moved to the far ends of the then known world because of persecution. The book of James is written, we understand, to a group of Jewish Christians that were scattered because of persecution, and yet its truth is as relevant to us today as it was to those first recipients 2,000 years ago. Now, understand this about the book of James. The book of James is fast-paced. It is intensely practical. It is hard-hitting. Did you ever meet in your life someone who tells it like it is? Whatever comes to their mind comes right out of their mouth. There is no filter to catch it. Anybody ever meet someone like that? Don't call their name out in case they're present. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. That's who James is. This is the unfiltered half-brother of Jesus Christ. He lays it out. The issues that he addresses are as relevant to us today as they were in his day. The general theme of this book is the title that we've given to the sermon or the sermon series, Making Faith Work. Interestingly, in the book of James, there are 14 references to faith. There are 59 references to commands to obey. When you put those two together, you find that this book teaches us the relationship between what we believe and how we live out what we believe. I think that if I were to put it into a simple phrase, I'd say that James teaches us, just do it. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, stop messing around, stop wasting time, just do it. And that leads us back to today's subject, how trials work and what we should do when they come. James would have us understand that we can't go over them. We can't go under them, that we have to go through them. We cannot avoid the trials of life. If you have your Bibles open or your device, look at James chapter 1, verse 2. And notice the carefully selected words that he uses there. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, he does not use the word if. He uses the word when. Because trials will come. Troubles will happen. Difficulties will be faced. All of us will go through suffering. James's first century readers were facing the trial specifically of persecution for their faith, their inability or their unwillingness to renounce their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because they were faithful to him, because they were going to be obedient in all of their ways to him. They suffered the intense heat of persecution. Now, let me say this to you. We as American Christians know nothing of genuine persecution. We might suffer some stress. We might suffer some pushback because of what we believe and the positions that we take, our values and our moral standards. But we have not suffered what is genuine persecution. 
One in eight Christians today suffer persecution around the world. The numbers vary from 314 million to 340 million Christians who suffer intense persecution. They are arrested. They are denied privileges. Some of them are beaten, and some of them die, about 200,000 every year, for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is this genuine trial of persecution that people face around the world today. And in this book, that was the trial that was faced by the initial receivers of the book. However, there are trials that go beyond the trial of persecution. And there are trials that you and I face as well. Physical illness, the grief over loss, family brokenness, financial trouble. Consider another trial that is actually inferred here in the original language, those nasty temptations that the devil sends your way to try to upend your life and unsettle your faith in Jesus Christ. All of these things are the trials of life that we will face in our lives, much as we may want to go over them, much as we may want to go under them, much as every one of us want to avoid the trials of life, and I'm the first in that line, the reality is, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to learn to go through them. But how do we do that? Well, God in his word teaches us that the way to go through the trials of life is first and foremost our choice. I said this three weeks ago, and I want to underscore it again today. We can choose in the face of the trials of our life to become better by them or bitter because of them. We can choose to become better by them or bitter because of them, and that's a choice that every one of us have to make. But if you're here this morning and you face trials in your life, or if you are not yet facing a trial, they will come, tuck this teaching away, if it is your desire to become better by the trials of life, then hear the truths that James teaches us about the trials of life. And the first truth is found in verses two through four, and it's simply this, your attitude is critical. Your attitude in the face of trials is critical. James commends to us one attitude and only one. He says that when trials come, you should face your trials with joy. In fact, what he says is, you should face your trials with pure joy. Now remember that joy, biblical joy, is not happiness, it is not uproarious laughter, it is not walking around all the time with a fake smile plastered on your face. That is not biblical joy. Biblical joy is a deep, settled confidence that God is in control of the details of my life. Got that? Biblical joy is a deep, settled confidence that God is in control of the details of my life. Say that with me. Biblical joy is a deep, settled confidence that God is in control of the details of my life. You know what's interesting about that definition of joy? You can be happy and joyful at the same time but you can also be deeply sad and joyful at the same time. You can be a place of grief over loss. You can be in a place of genuine brokenness and sadness and yet still have a deep, settled confidence that God is in control of the details of your life. So this is what James says. When you face trials, firstly, 
your attitude is critical, choose the right attitude. One Bible scholar has noted that when we go through life's trials, God wants to do something to us, in us, for us, and through us to grow us as men and women, as followers of Jesus Christ. God has a sovereign plan for every trial that you and I face in life. Now, now let's look at how James describes that in sort of a timeline, okay? Because this is what James says in James chapter 1. He says, we will face trials, and when those trials come, they come so that we are tested, tested, and the testing will lead to perseverance, and the perseverance will lead to maturity. Now, we've already talked about the fact that all of us will at some point in our lives face trials and probably multiple times. What does God want to do when we face trials? If you're willing to embrace the trial, if you are willing to not push back against it, not to try to find a detour around it, but you embrace it and you go through it, then God wants to use that trial to test you. And that may sound ominous, but it really isn't. It's, it's the biblical word that means that he wants to use that trial to prove your faith genuine, to remove the impurities in your faith and make you a stronger follower of Jesus Christ. Back in 1 Peter chapter 1, three weeks ago, we learned that one of the things that, that God does in our trials is he removes impurity, and he used this wonderful illustration about how the goldsmith removes the impurity from gold. Remember this? The goldsmith applies intense heat to the gold. The gold melts, and what goes to the surface? All the impurities go to the surface. The goldsmith then skims off the impurities, and you're left with a more beautiful gold and a more valuable gold. And this is what God tells us in his word. Our trials are like the application of intense heat in our lives. And when those trials come, they test our faith, and if we're willing to go through them with the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that he gives us, if we're willing to go through them trusting in him, then he will burn out the impurities of our faith. He will make our faith stronger. He will make our faith purer. Now, now look, look at the word of God in James and notice that the one specific area where God wants to strengthen every one of us is an area of perseverance. Now, a lot of people like to equate perseverance with patience, but I want, to, I want you to hear this morning that perseverance is a whole lot more than patience. One of my favorite new authors is Sinclair Ferguson, and Sinclair Ferguson writes that perseverance is the ability to take the strain and remain standing under a load that would otherwise crush you. Perseverance is the ability to take the strain and remain standing under a load that would otherwise crush you. Then Ferguson writes this, which was very helpful to me. He said, picture an Olympic weightlifter snatching the heavy bar and raising it above his head. His legs shudder until he manages to lock them. You got this picture. Lock them into position, and the judge signals a successful lift. That kind of strength, Ferguson writes, is the result of endless hours of testing and more testing. Here, pain is gain. And so it is in the Christian life. There is no other way to grow in spiritual strength 
than by the testing of your faith in the midst of the trials of life. We learn to persevere, come what may. Perseverance is spiritual strength. And where does it lead? It leads to, James says, a complete and mature faith. It leads to maturity. Maturity in the Christian life is a Christ-like life. It is a life free of jealousy, laziness, pride, doubt, bitterness, selfishness, unforgiveness, you name it. It is a life lived by which you know Jesus, love Jesus, trust Jesus, and obey Jesus. Every time I meet a Christian who is self-centered and arrogant, I think, oh my goodness, Lord, they need to grow in maturity because self-centered, arrogant Christians are immature in their faith. Every time I meet a Christian who is bitter and unforgiving, holding things in their heart that should have been long surrendered, I say, oh Lord, help mature them so they release those things and experience all the fullness, all the goodness that you have for them. Secondly, when you go through trials, you need the wisdom of God. Not only do you need the right attitude, which leads to maturity, but you also need the wisdom of God. I don't know about you, and check me on this, see if your experience is like mine, but when I face a trial in life, the trials that I face often leave me confused and uncertain, sometimes very frustrated, sometimes empty, and sometimes even feeling lost. Trials can knock the wind out of us. Maybe you've experienced that. They challenge what we've long held to be true. They reveal that we don't know all that we need to know about life. And so trials will leave us asking the question, how do I cope in the midst of this trial? How do I cope in life? And this is what God says. He says, ask me. Ask me for the wisdom to cope. Look at James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. The Bible teaches the value of both knowledge and wisdom. Now hear me when I say this, and this is important for basic Bible knowledge. These are two different qualities, okay? Knowledge is knowing the facts. Wisdom is knowing how to apply the facts to life. Knowledge is to know. Wisdom is to know how. Let me illustrate that for you in a way that I didn't originally anticipate to. On Monday morning, I was sitting in my office and about, oh, 8.30, I got a phone call from my third daughter, Amanda. Dad! Now that's the way she opens every phone conversation, so I wasn't terribly alarmed. That's just how Amanda rolls in life. Dad! I said, this is how I usually respond, Amanda! Stop it, Dad. Stop it. I said, okay. What's wrong? 
I'm driving on the highway, I think she meant the Schuylkill Expressway, Shorekill Expressway, and she said, every light is on on the dashboard. Some of them are blinking, the air conditioning is stopping. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what's happening? What's happening? Is it serious? I said, sounds like your car is breaking down. <laughs> oh no, I said, I'd say it's serious. What should I do? I said, well, do you see an exit? Yes. I said, take the exit. I was trying to remain very calm to calm her down. I said, take the exit. When you get to the bottom of the exit, look for a place to park the car. So she did that. She made her way down, she got to the place to park the car, and suddenly the car completely died. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? How do we fix it? I said, Amanda, I'm at the end. I've got knowledge, I've got no wisdom as far as cars are concerned. I know what's happening. You've got a problem. I don't know how to fix it. Call AAA. Oh, okay. I called her back later on and I said, would you like me to come down? She said, well, why? <laughs> Wasn't lost on you, was it? <laughs> I said, I thought we could go get something to eat. That's why. <laughs> I have nothing to offer you, but I'll even pay. <laughs> when we are in a trial, we know we're in a trial, don't we? It's like all the lights go on on the dashboard. They start blinking. The air conditioner goes off. We start heating up. The problem is we don't know what to do. We don't know how to get out of the trial. And this is where God steps in and he says, ask me. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Jesus says, in Hebrews chapter four, that he has suffered in every way that we have, yet without sin. Who better to go to than the one who's been through it all? Who better to ask how than the one who has made it through it all? And I love what James says here, it is so powerful. He says that that when you ask God for wisdom, he is generous with his wisdom. He gives it to all, and he gives it plentifully. And you know what else? Did you notice this? He gives it without finding fault. I think that's fascinating. When you go to God and you ask for wisdom, now hear me, write this down if you're taking notes. There is no dumb question with God. No dumb question. He takes every question and it's serious and he takes it to heart. He doesn't berate you. He doesn't find fault. He doesn't say, when was the last time you had the oil change? Maybe that's the problem with the lights on the dashboard. Now that went through my mind, but I wasn't about to say it. <laughs> I wasn't born yesterday. And I also knew that as her father on earth, that would have been horribly insensitive. 
The Father in heaven doesn't find fault when we ask for wisdom. He's gracious. But when we ask for wisdom, verses 6 through 8, he says, don't vacillate. Don't be a doubter one moment and a believer the next. Don't be double-minded. Don't be unstable. If you're going to ask me for wisdom, believe that I will give it. And then watch what I do. One of the most significant trials that I've faced in the past two and a half years is how in the world to be a pastor in the midst of a pandemic. They never covered that in seminary. It wasn't in any books that I had ever read. And so when it came, and along with it, this incredible divisiveness in our nation, this degeneration of civility that we have witnessed firsthand, Jenny will tell you that there were many days in April of 2020 when she would go upstairs to the makeshift home office that we put together with a folding table and a chair because we couldn't go anywhere. And she would find me on my knees in front of the chair crying out to God and saying, I don't know how to be a pastor anymore. I don't know how to be a pastor anymore. For in this pendulum from right to left, there are people who are with opinions all along the way. And and I'm not sure what to do, but I wanna tell you something. When you ask God for wisdom, he meets you where you're at. I'm not going to say that I did everything right because I don't always hear everything the way I should. You can also ask Jenny about that one. (laughs) But I tried to tune my ear to hear his voice and his wisdom. When you go through trials, your attitude is critical. You need God's wisdom. Thirdly, write this down. Money won't help. Money won't help. Some people think that verses 9 through 11 of James 1 doesn't belong in a teaching about trials, but sure it does, because verse 2 opens with trials, verse 12 closes with trials. Everything in between stays right there with trials. So here's the deal. When you face trials, money won't help. Isn't it interesting how trials are a leveling effect between the rich and the poor? They come to the rich as equally as they come to the poor. And so to the poor Christian, James writes that while you may be poor in possessions, you have a high position because you are rich in Christ. The implication is that you have all that you need to get through the trials that you have when you have Jesus Christ. Some of the richest Christians that I've ever met in my life are those who have nothing of this world's goods. If you visit me in my office, on a bookshelf, you'll see this hanging, and this is a a clergy scarf that was given to me in the year 2000 by the orphans of Sangamun Orphanage in Shurachampur, Imphal, Northeast India, where the Evangelical Congregational Church, our denomination, has hundreds and hundreds of churches. 
And one day when I was visiting there, when I was bishop of the church, they said, Pastor Bishop Sigmund, do you want to go out to visit the orphans? And I said, yes, I, I want to go out to visit the orphans. I had never been to an orphanage in my life, never. I didn't even know where there would be an orphanage to go to, but halfway around the world, I went out to Sangha Moon. And there were literally 36 orphans, and they were joyful, and they were singing, and their caregivers, who likewise had very little of this world's goods, were joyful and singing, and we had meals with them, and we talked with them, and they had a richness of their faith in Jesus Christ. And I thought to myself, here we are halfway around the world in a deeply impoverished area of Northeast India, literally eight months out from the end of a civil war. These orphans lost both mother and father in that civil war, and they were full of the joy of the Lord. You don't need money to have contentment and joy in life. And money won't help you when you face trials. To the rich Christian, James says, be careful. Trials teach us that money can't solve our problems in life in the same way, and he uses this illustration, that scorching heat of sun destroys a beautiful plant, so the rich man and all that he owns will someday pass away. Money cannot protect him, and money is not his security as he goes through trials. There is only one who can protect us, and only one who is our security. And you know his name, don't you? His name is? And Jesus alone. Which leads me to the fourth and final truth. When you go through trials, mark this down, you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded someday. As you go through the trials of life, whatever they may be, I want to encourage you today to choose an attitude of joy. I want to encourage you today to ask for God's wisdom. But as you choose that attitude of joy and receive his wisdom, remember that biblical joy is a deep, settled confidence that God is in control of the details of my life. It may not be full of happiness. There may not be smiles. There may not be uproarious laughter. But know this. There will come a day when your joy will be joined by genuine, sheer happiness. And that will be in eternity. Look at what James writes in James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man, the very same language that's used in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, literally means happy is the man or woman who stands the test of the trials of life, who goes through those trials and goes through them well and at the end receives the inheritance of eternal life. We do not inherit eternal life because we've gone through trials. We inherit eternal life because we have chosen to trust in the one and only Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, who goes through those trials with us. And friends, I want to tell you something. Someday it will be worth it all because you will stand in his presence and he will say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. The picture 
that James draws here was one that was familiar to first century hearers when he says that you'll receive the crown of life that God has promised. It's a picture of the runner who at the end of the race receives a laurel wreath, a laurel crown that says, you've done well. You have the crown of victory. That's what happens in eternity. Someday every one of us, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, will stand face to face with the one who died for you, rose again and lives today, and he will say to you, well done. Here's the crown of victory. And it will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh. A trial of life. A narrow, gloomy trial in life. Say it with me. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. And when we go through it, we never go through it alone. We go through it with Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. It's the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. And amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, how I thank you and praise you. You're an amazing God, and there is none who is like you. We thank you for your precious, powerful word that is so full of wisdom and insight and instruction. And so specifically today, I want to ask you, Jesus, for those who are here and online who are not going through a trial, who are really having a great time and life is good, and would you take this word and tuck it away in their minds and their hearts and then at just the right time, when those trials would come, would you remind them of your powerful truth and use it to encourage them and to see them through the trial of life? But Lord, I know that in a congregation like this, there are some people who are facing very real trials and they're facing them right now. And so my prayer is that this word would have been an encouragement and even a convicting encouragement to choose the attitude of joy and cry out for the wisdom that you alone give. So my prayer today is for those who are going through trials that if they are pushing back or fighting against or trying to avoid, you would graciously take them by the hand and lead them through. And as they go through that trial, may they have a daily 
twice daily, 10 times daily, conversation with you. Help me cope. Show me what to do next. I don't know. Jesus, what should I do? Lord, I pray that you would do such a transformative work in the hearts and the lives of those who in this congregation or online are going through trials. And we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are and what you do in our lives when we surrender and trust you. And it's in your strong name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.